Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage this morning comes from Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. Listen for what God is saying to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he owned and bought it. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. Good morning again, Urban Village Church. Uh... If you didn't uh, make it in earlier, uh, no shade, but my name is Emily, and I am the pastor here, Um, and I have a great joy of serving in in ministry alongside many of the folks that you have seen up front, and and many people who uh, never are up front, but uh, help us do what we do and be who we are um, and help us gather in this space um, in such a hospitable way. Um, As we lean our, as we incline our ear toward God's word, uh, please join me in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful for this opportunity to come together, to pause in the midst of all of the things that would um, demand our attention and distract our hearts and minds, um, to really kind of uh, center ourselves in, uh, in your word and in uh, the ongoing work that you are seeking to do within us and through us in the world. And so um, help uh, us to be present in this space, in this moment. We ask that you would clear away those things that crowd out um, our ability to, to hear you so that we can um, really receive uh, what it is that you have to say to be challenged, to be comforted, to be confronted, and to be loved, um, perhaps all at the same time. We pray this um, in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, uh, when I learned that there would be a nine-episode podcast about Dolly Parton coming out, I was elated, actually. Um, I became a big fan of Dolly Parton after reading her autobiography in high school twice um, at the suggestion and under the influence of what some people might describe as a questionable group of friends. Um, After reading about her humble beginnings, 12 kids and two parents growing up in a two-room cabin off a one-lane dirt road deep in the Smoky Mountains, the way that she could see beauty and treasure in even the most painful of circumstances, I was head over heels. Dolly's outlook and capacity to find possibility in the meanest of circumstances Beauty in the midst of deep pain. Well, it gave me hope in my own family circumstances, which were marked by poverty, sorrow, and isolation. And what's so interesting about Dolly Parton is that her story and her songs actually seem to have a similar effect on people all over the world, actually. Economic immigrants hear her own nostalgia for home and in my Tennessee home. The determined and defiant pride in Coat of Many Colors, a song about a mother who lovingly sews a patchwork coat out of donated fabric scraps. In the Bible, she had read about a coat of many colors Joseph wore, and then she said, perhaps this coat will bring you good luck and happiness, and I just couldn't wait to wear it, and Mama blessed it with a kiss. My coat 
Well, I was rich as I could be in my coat of many colors my mama made for me. So with patches on my britches and holes in both my shoes in my coat of many colors, I hurried off to school just to find the others laughing and making fun of me in my coat of many colors my mama made for me. And oh, I couldn't understand it for I felt I was rich and I told them all the love my mama sewed in every stitch and I told them all the story Mama told me why she sewed and how my coat of many colors was worth more than all their clothes. But they didn't understand it and I tried to make them see that one is only poor, only if they choose to be. Now I know we had no money, but I was rich as I could be in my coat of many colors my mama made for me made just for me so if you've ever been in that position where uh, you have held a treasure that perhaps no one could quite see then you would know what she was singing about it was songs and conditions like these that dolly sang about and in doing so helped folks behold their circumstances with their dignity intact with their head held high while she was very specific to her experience in Tennessee, there was something about her songs that allowed others to see their own experiences embedded, to hear their own stories being told. Well, in a way, Jesus did something similar. Throughout his ministry, Jesus painted pictures through stories about what kind of world God wanted to bring about. We call them parables, stories that invite us to imagine what the world that, uh, what that world could look like that God was trying to create and to understand what it demanded from us to bring such a world about. Jesus explains to his disciples why he speaks this way a little earlier in the chapter. He says, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. But not everyone has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. And that's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward receptive insight. Telling parables is a way to tell the truth slant, as the poet Emily Dickinson put it, to tell it in a way that stirs curiosity. Parables till the soil of the imagination so that people could see more deeply. Jesus tells lots of parables in lots of different ways, and here in Matthew chapter 13, he does it through a series of quick sketches. Each time Jesus starts with, the kingdom of God is like, it's like he's picking up his pencil and sketch pad to render a few lines. The kingdom of God is like a trespasser who finds treasure hidden in a field, like a jewel merchant looking for good inventory. Both of these stories end with the searcher giving up everything to obtain what they had found. And it feels a little obvious, right? What's the point? The kingdom of God is something of great value. Got it. On to the next one. But here's the thing that I'm wondering. What was that treasure, actually? Was it the surprise sound of cymbals? Uh, <laughs> the surprise music uh, created by children? Well, the story doesn't say what it was. We assume that it was maybe a box full of gold bars or something, right? And why was the pearl so valuable? 
Well, I did a bit of searching on the internet and here's what I learned. The factors that determine a pearl's value include where they come from, how big they are, the color, the shape, the shine, and the surface quality. I also learned that the most expensive pearl in the world uh, was discovered by a Filipino fisherman in the Palawan Islands, and it measures no less than 26 inches and is worth $100 million, and this is what happens when you go searching on the internet. But so, as I thought about all of this, I was still left with this question of why. Why were these treasures so important? I mean, if it was, even if it was a box full of gold bars, why would the field's purchase price be worth everything this person had? Presumably, it was an abandoned lot, right, if this dude was going around digging holes. And why would a merchant, whose job is to buy things so that they can sell them at a higher price, choose to sell everything to purchase this one pearl? Jesus is just sketching, so it's up to us to complete the picture, to fill it in. Earlier this week, I gathered with a handful of other leaders of color to participate in a consultation about fundraising in communities of color. One of the facilitators shared that the reason why this consultation was happening was because of all the data that had been collected about giving patterns in churches, there is absolutely no data set that includes the experiences, motivations, or habits of giving in communities of color. This is just one of the many ways that institutional racism shapes our world because, of course, decisions and priorities and systems and programs are made based on the data that is collected. And if that data is drawn from only one set of experiences, then those who don't share those realities are left out. But I digress. There were so many rich moments in the room as people shared, but one of them that came to mind as I reflected on our passage for today was a story from St. James Presbyterian Church in Harlem, New York. This little congregation was committed to trying and raising money uh, for one of their youth to make a trip to Australia. The cost was an impossible amount for this youth to raise on her own. And as the congregation tried to figure out with her like how they could support her, an elderly mother of the church stepped up with an idea. Her peach cobbler was well-known and well-loved, and so she made a proposal. I'll buy the peaches if the church will donate the sugar and we're gonna get this girl to Australia. Well, 300 peach cobblers later, the girl was on a plane for the experience of a lifetime. The kingdom of God is like a peach cobbler made with donated sugar by the hands of a determined, faithful, committed church mother. And here, I think, is what these stories are about. The, that, abandoned, that an abandoned field, a hustler looking for uh, jewelry, what everyone else despises, dismisses, or disregards as having any value, these are the places where you can find the most surprising, delightful, and stunning treasures. These are the kind of people who are capable of discovering the richness of God's radical, prodigal, and perpetual presence. Later on, toward the end of chapter 13, you see Jesus go to his hometown. And when he came to his hometown, scripture says, he taught the people in their synagogues. They were surprised and said, where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get the power to work miracles? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother named Mary, the most common name of all? Aren't James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas his brothers? And his sisters, aren't they here with us? Where did this man get all this? They were repulsed by him and fell into sin. They did not, could not see the kingdom of God, even as it came from the very son of God. No matter how slant he told the truth. All they could see was Mary's son, a carpenter's apprentice, an abandoned field, a crusty old merchant. 
In other words, they missed it. The scripture says that they fell into sin, which makes it seem all much more dramatic than I think it was. I don't think they were some kind of evil mustache-twirling types, right? But more like what happens when you simply stop trying, when you stop looking, stop being open, when you settle in and give up the fight for the possibility of being surprised by God, when you cease to imagine a world that more closely aligns with God's intentions. And the tragedy of it isn't only that you've stopped hoping for a more alive world, but that you also stop hoping, you end up stopping hoping, uh, stop hoping for a more alive self. You just give up. What if the field in this parable is something like your own soul, an abandoned space? What treasure, what divine spark is buried, waiting to be uncovered? Jesus says over and over throughout his ministry that the kingdom of God is here when by all, the, all evidence it seems like there is nothing extraordinary to be found. What does he mean by this? Well, maybe, I think, maybe it means that even if we can't see anything, we've got to keep digging. That even when we haven't found anything, we've got to keep searching. That we've got to keep trusting that there is something waiting to be discovered, even and perhaps especially in the least inspiring places among the least inspiring people. There is a treasure within you, no matter what you've done or where you've been. Searching and discovering that treasure, this is what faith and discipleship is about. And doing this in community is what makes it church. Creating the conditions for folks to engage in the search, like what we will promise to do for baby Gabrielle in a few minutes. This has been one of our core practices at Urban Village Church since we launched our first service 10 years ago. And so as we look toward 2020, in the midst of all the transitions that we'll be making, we are committed to continuing the practice of space-making for faith-making, to be the kind of community where we do the digging and the searching, cultivating inside growth for outside impact. Now, In your worship guides, you'll find a pledge card. I left mine um, on the chair, but this is one of the ways that you can be part of creating that kind of space and practicing that kind of faith. And so as we're moving into this time of making promise, financial promises to support the community, I'd invite you to reflect and pray on how you can make a financial commitment to support our work in 2020. Remembering that it's not just a way to help us keep doing what we're doing, but that it's also one of the ways that we begin to pick up a pencil for our own lives and start sketching out the kingdom of God is like. To do some inside work for outside impact. Now, for some of us, that might require confronting some anxieties or disciplines around personal finances. Well, for other of us, it's about trusting that my small piece can actually do something. It's one of the ways that we keep showing up, that we keep searching, and keep positioning ourselves in those places and for those moments when we discover that the kingdom of God, God's presence and God's activity, is closer to us than we realize. Whether it's in a coat of many colors, an abandoned field, a hustler in the oyster markets, or even a peach cobbler. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this grand treasure hunt that you invite us into. We thank you that you surround us with rich fields that are full of possibilities, even if to the naked eye it seems like nothing is there. 
We thank you, God, that even when we sometimes look at ourselves and say there is nothing that can be done, that you promise that there is, in fact, treasures within waiting to be unearthed, uncovered, and put to use for your service. And so help us, God, to keep, um, keep our, not just our faith, but our imaginations alive, that we might be able to trust and believe, but also act and move on what you say to be true, despite all of what we see. We pray this with hope and trust, and in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.